and welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are struggling with STI stigma to mental health resources. Today, on this podcast episode, we have my friend Ebony. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for being willing to... Uh, hold on. Uh, Cutting my light on. Oh, I think people can see me better. All right. <laughs> Thank you for being willing to hop on this interview with me, especially on such short notice. Uh, what was it, like this weekend we talked? Yeah. Um, you know, thanks for having me. It's always nice to be a part of something that, you know, has like a background meaning. And, you know, definitely when you're struggling with something personally and, and just want to be able to see if you can help somebody else. Yeah. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate you being there for it. So I don't even know where to start, really. I mean, I guess we can just begin with your uh, diagnosis, and then um, we can just talk through it from there, like I always do. I always try to find like <laughs> some interesting or unique opening with the person, but uh, uh, yeah, we can just get right to it. What you got for me? Sure, we can dive right in. So. I got my diagnosis, um... Of what? Uh, of, of general herpes, um, when I was 24. How old are you now? I am 31. I'll be 32 in April. Um, so, you know, it's been a while. Um, I thankfully was able to find, like, a lot of comforting resources pretty, pretty early on. Um, but before that, it was pretty devastating. Um, I was just, I was just sort of finding myself. Um, I came from a very religiously strict household, um, that I was suddenly kicked out of. So, um, I was just, you know, trying to find myself and, and trying to see what makes me tick because, you know, growing up I wasn't really allowed to do that and um you know the person that had passed it on to me um was literally the third person I've ever had sex with um so you know I was kicked out of my house at 19 um coming from a very sheltered very strict um Christian household um, so I didn't know a lot. I didn't have a lot of experience and a lot of the things that were downloaded into my brain was, you know, as soon as you step away from this religion, you know, you're going to encounter so many terrible situations. And, um, you know, I didn't even start having sex until I was 20. So getting that at 24, um, was pretty devastating. <laughs> um, and I didn't know, which, you know, obviously I wasn't like super aware of what it was and what it could cause. I knew it was an STI. Um, I knew it was a condition of the skin. I had limited information about like, you know, people's cold sores and I didn't really know what was happening to me. Um, so me and that person ended up sleeping together on New Year's Day. And maybe about four days later, I started to get symptoms. Um, 
it hit me. You know, you hear people that go, oh, I, I had no idea that I had it. You'll have people that go, oh, you know, I just got like a little cold. Um, I was running 103 fever for about five days. I got sent home from work twice um, because I looked so awful. Um, I was, you know, my body ached from head to toe. I had chills. I had a fever. I was, you know, mildly delirious in terms of being, like, really dizzy. And um, so I I didn't have anyone to turn to. I didn't want to tell any friends that I had at the time um, because they were just kind of more of acquaintances. Um, definitely didn't want to tell my family because that would just turn into a Johnny I told you so. Um, and the person in which gave it to me after confronting him, he kind of ghosted. So I was just kind of dealing with that for like a good solid two weeks before symptoms had started to clear up um, on my own. Um, thankfully, I had access to the internet and I ended up finding a website that used to have a chat room to it, and unfortunately, it no longer does. Um, and that is what led me to kind of the, the underground world of <laughs> of all the Facebook groups and all the support groups. Um, and then, you know, my life kind of just spiraled from there. Um, and when I say spiraled, it, it definitely was a domino effect. So getting it at the first was probably, you know, in my head, like the worst thing that could have happened to me, um, as a lot of people feel. Um, looking back, even if I could go back and undo it, I wouldn't. Um, it caused me to step out of my comfort zone because I hated myself so much. And I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want to constantly blame myself for getting this. I didn't want to constantly feel like my life was over. Um, So I had to push myself out of my comfort zone in order to find reasons to to keep on going. Because what other choice did I have? Yeah. Um, Where are you going to keep going? I was going to let you ride this out. You're doing great. (laughs) Did you have any questions? I will. surrounding it which seemed bizarre to me um but what did I have to lose at that point um and coming from my particular sheltered background um traveling on my own was a giant no you know I was kind of waiting to have friends to go to different places with and to um have that that cliche life where you got like five or six very close friends and you guys do everything together. Um, and even at 31, I still don't have that. Um, but it's okay because I ended up going to an event. My first event was an Indianapolis event over 4th of July, a 4th of July weekend. So that was the first time I traveled out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, on my own, and I was petrified. 
I was so freaking scared and I was so shy back then. I didn't know anyone. And it actually, like, that experience revived my faith in humanity. Um, because everyone was so welcoming and so, um, and so nice. And even though I was socially awkward and even though I didn't talk that much, like, everyone just went out of their way to include me and to make sure I was having a good time. And, um, so I ended up, you know, becoming addicted to going to, um, to events pretty, pretty quickly. And I like wanted to go to all of them. Um, and a cruise winded up coming up and I was like, I have to do this. Um, I've never at that point in my life seen a body of a natural body of water that was completely clear. I've never seen that by age 24. And the only reason that I did see it is because I got a SNL. Damn, I at never looked at it. Life. I never really looked at it that way. Uh, <laughs> I do my best not to give herpes any power of over my experiences. But truth be told, had it not been for me getting herpes, I wouldn't have had a lot of the experiences that I had. So like, Whenever I talk about it, in a sense, it's I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had after my diagnosis. Not necessarily I'm thankful for my diagnosis because, I mean, this shit sucks when you first get it. And in your case, when you got it, you had damn near a week worth of symptoms. Did you not go to the doctor at all? Um, So I went to Planned Parenthood and they were the ones that diagnosed me. And, I mean, there's not much you can do. You just kind of have to fight the way um, and kind of let the virus do its thing and kind of clear out. Um, so, you know, of course, they gave me, like, the antiviral medication. Um, they first gave me, um, is it? Acyclovir or Valcyclovir? Valcyclovir. Mm-hmm. my hair I like a lot like handfuls of hair would come out and you know I only took it maybe for about a month or two so I was still in like my extreme like you know stress phase and I was very still very much still depressed and um so I equated it to just like stress and I didn't even think about it was a side effect of the of the medication And then after finding that out, I was like, oh, great. So I can't even take medicine for this, you know. Um, Switching to acyclovir um, didn't have as much hair loss. Um, But there was still hair loss for you? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was still enough to be concerning. Um so it, it just caused me to look for nat- more natural ways to kind of combat it. And, you know, six years down the line at this point, I hardly even deal with it. So unless I am with a person that doesn't have it or is unsure of their status of it, um, you know, I just don't take anything for it. Um, and I don't have to. I, I generally don't have many outbreaks unless something happens like I got pneumonia once so I ended up having an outbreak because of that 
side effects uh but not like this you know people would say things like um taking the medication would bring on more outbreaks for instance like i've heard of that a few times but i haven't heard of anyone actually losing their hair so that's why my eyes got big when you said it. i was like oh that actually happens because a lot of medications that i'll hear about people taking or take for myself they'll be like the side effects are worse than the treatment uh, of what the medication's for <laughs> So why bother? But in this case, like you actually lost your hair. Like, did it grow back or was it, is it gone in those spots? No, no, no. It did grow back. Um, it took maybe about a good five to six months for me to feel like for me to start seeing that my hair was fuller. Um, but it, it definitely had thinned out. And like, even people were like, what are, what, what are you doing? Your hair so thin. And I'm just like, Nothing, leave me alone. I thought you were about to say, I thought you were about to say when it grew back, people were like, yeah, your hair is so thick. I was going to say, yeah, that's a perfect time to advertise. Yeah, girl, I got herpes. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, it was even to the point where other people were noticing because I, I generally am a person that has a pretty thick head of hair. Um, so people were noticing that it was kind of dwindling away and they were like a little concerned about it. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, can't talk about it but i didn't want to talk about it anymore mm-hmm. going back to your like, experience with uh coming from a religious household you said you didn't have sex till 20 now was that by choice because of your religious background um yes yeah so it was you know by choice due to my religious background um and partially you know it was just kind of growing to me that you know, like, the worst thing I could do to my family is get pregnant um, outside of wedlock. So, um, you know, I it was something that I was just kind of proud of having. So, of course, I didn't want to, you know, test the waters or um, risk it because, I mean, hell, my mom kicked me out when I was 19. Um, so, wait, if you, didn't have, if you didn't have sex until you were 20, what did your mom kick you out of the house for at 19? story or the short story whatever you want to share <laughs> um so i came home one day to a pair of headphones of mine that were pretty expensive um broken and just kind of displayed on my bed so like obviously someone put them there um and you know i'm 19 um so I get pissed and automatically assume it's my brother because it's kind of a douche and would break my stuff and, and, you know, just put it out of my bed. Um, so I go to him and I'm like, you know, what, what happened here? Why'd you do this? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't seen those. I didn't touch those. I didn't break those. So then I go to my dad because it's also within his character. If he accidentally broke something, he'll just like put it on my bed and not like, tell me anything or warn me or say anything or take accountability um so i start yelling at him like hey you know what happened here um 
And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I didn't put those on your bed. And I'm like, great. You know, my stuff lines are broken, and nobody knows what's going on. So then my mom interjects. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, well, someone broke my headphones and just put them on my bed, and no one's taking accountability for it, and I, I think that's really messed up. And she goes into a tangent, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically her point was that if I'm not being a good enough of a Christian, um, it can open up ways for demons to mess with my stuff. In which I lost it and started calling her crazy and started telling her, like asking her to show me in the Bible where that is taught and, you know, just told her to stop pushing her agenda on me and stop trying to use religion to uh, justify her insanity, which then she demanded, like, I told her I wanted my social security card and my birth certificate, you know, I'm over the age of 18, I'm going to find an apartment, I'm going to go. We were actually supposed to go to a religious meeting that night. Like a Tuesday or a Thursday, and um, I start putting on my shoes, and she's like, "Where are you going?" And I was like, "I'm so frustrated. I, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go somewhere." And she's like, "No, we're supposed to get ready for a meeting." And I'm like, "I'm not freaking going. And I want my stuff when I get back." And so she demands her key to her house, um, because if I'm not gonna live by her rules, then I need to get out. And in which I informed her that. In this state, because I'm over the age of 18, and I have proof that this is my, my, my residence for over six months, you have to evict me. Good luck with that. She then physically attacks me, and then we get into a fist fight, and then I eventually throw her her key to her house, and I leave. And then I go to the police department and I ask them to escort me back so I can get my stuff and go. Um, so that is the argument that led to me getting kicked out of my house. Wait, ain't nobody break this fight up? No. Did they watch? Like, where was everybody at? I imagine, like, dad or brother would have been like, but they, they was probably rooting for you. If she was as uh, mean as you say she was, they were like, yeah, she got what's coming to her. Probably was like she about to leave just... anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's messed up. Where'd you go, like, um, to live? Um, after the four months. Oh, wait, so you came back home and stayed home for four more months? Yes. Oh, how the yeah. hell was, how did that work? Like, she just let you come back? Um, so 
put his foot down. Um, but it was probably more of just, she's crazy. I don't know. I can't freaking explain it. All right. So um, when you say, when we say crazy, I'm, I'm leaning away from saying crazy. And if there's actually a mental health issue, concern, uh, or something like that, I want to like get in the ballpark of what it is. Did your mom, does your mom actually have mental illness? Is she super just Bible uh, dependent or would you just say she's crazy? I can't answer that because she doesn't respect doctors, so she barely goes and sees one. And she definitely does not think that anyone in the psychiatric field knows what they're doing. Um, so would I say that she probably has a diagnosis that could use some medication? Absolutely. What that diagnosis could be, I'm not sure. All right. Um, we can leave it at that. She, <laughs> she has done things like um, I used to listen, or I still do. There's a band named Incubus that I you know, listened to when I was a teenager as well. Um, and she actually liked them, which was shocking because we didn't agree on anything. Um, and one day my aunt had told her the definition of an incubus, which, you know, as most people know, is a demon that comes and has sex with you while you're sleeping. And she just went on a rampage and she started yelling at me and my brother, like, how could we bring this into the house? And this is why she feels like something's crawling in the bed with her and, um, made us throw out our CDs in which I never did. I just stuffed them under my mattress like a teenager and you know magically that thing that was crawling in her bed went away um so situations like that i don't know if if she actually thought something was crawling in a bed with her or if she was just using religion as a foundation to be a terrible person i'm not sure all right Um, wow okay now, given that uh, religion was such an emphasis in your house, uh, you moved out or you got kicked out. You came back. You stayed there four months, got your own place. I guess I'm curious to know if religion was the reason that you hadn't had sex for so long. I'll assume that you were waiting till marriage initially, but something between 19 and 20, you were like, you know what? I'm doing this. Can you kind of say what may have pushed you over the hump of all right, well, this waiting till marriage or this abiding by religion thing may not be for me. Absolutely. So um, I never joked well with religion. You know, it was fine. Um, but I, the, there are certain views I just didn't agree with. Um, I'm more of an all-inclusive pe- person. I'm more of a person that likes to let people make their own decisions and, you know, as long as you're not causing any harm to anyone, um, then go live your life. Um, and in certain religions, people don't seem to have those same viewpoints. Um, so initially I was going with it because that was what I was raised to do. Um, but once I got kicked out and I was like, this is definitely not something I want to do. Um, 
I don't agree with the viewpoints. Um, and it, it's just not a one-size-fits-all. It's just not going to be for everyone, and that's totally fine. So, but I didn't know anything else, including myself. So I just was a person that wanted to try different things in order to see what I actually liked and what I did not actually like. Um, and there was just no reason for me to feel like I should abstain from having sex because I'm not married. Um, so that wasn't a giant hump to get over. However, there was a hump of just having guilt and shame that was installed in me um, for being a sexual person um, or having sexual desires as most people do. Um, and I did want to get over that. So I did start pushing myself out of my comfort zone to expand myself um, to get over that guilt and that shame. And honestly, like the person that ended up passing Kirby's on to me, he was like my first, um, I'm not in a relationship with him. And if this winds up being a one-night stand, I was preparing myself to be mentally okay with that. Um, and then and then I get her face. I, I felt like, like, oh, great, this is what I get for, like, purposely trying to be a whore. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> real quick. <clears throat> real quick. So you, had, <clears throat> the person who gave you herpes was the person you had sex with at 20? Or are we talking about the person you had sex with at 24 who gave you herpes? Personally, I had sex with at 24. Oh, okay, okay. The person I, was... I had sex with at 20 was um, my first boyfriend, which um, was an experience in itself. Um, was my first boyfriend. And um, so he was the first person I had sex with. And uh, then okay. We broke up, and then I got a second boyfriend. So the third person was... The guy at 24, and we were not in, a, like, a committed relationship or anything. Okay. What was your relationship to sex prior to having sex, I guess? Like, um, did you masturbate? Did you watch porn? Did you get any sort of uh, sex education for yourself? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that having been religious and growing up in the household that you were in, that was just something that you didn't talk about. Um something that was not talked about or if it was spoken about it was you know only do it after you're married um uh and i got a problem with that like i got a problem with don't have sex till you're married um and that being it you know if you're gonna tell me not to have sex till i'm married like give me a valid reason like tell me realistically why is sex after marriage better than sex before marriage is it because i built up all this tension and i waited so long is it because it's just gonna be better is it because we both don't know what we get and we're gonna be surprised <laughs> by the first interaction <laughs> and it ain't no like no easy way out like be honest about that shit so when they say no sex till marriage or don't have sex until you're married because I want to hear something that follows uh, that period. I want to hear because dot, dot, dot. So that's that's my little rant about that. <laughs> no, I totally feel you. And, I, you know, I kind of always thought it was weird. I was like, well, you know, why, why um, do you guys care so much of what people are doing with their own bodies in a consenting situation? 
Um, and I didn't get much of an answer. Um, but of course, you know, in that kind of environment, you're not even like really allowed to question it or ask, or at least in my household. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, other households that are more open and, and willing to explain to their children. Um, but that was not the case for me. Yeah. Now, when we talk about uh, your relationship to religion in the household, obviously there was a huge emphasis on, like, this is the way it is, and your mom was controlling. When you ended up getting out of the household, were you kind of seeking that same thing, or were you running away from uh, that, that authority that you received from your mom, or did that rub off on you? I guess my question is, how did that shape how you navigated relationships and dating at all? Um, I was definitely just trying to start life at a clean slate. Um, I felt very much behind my peers in terms of life experiences, um, and you know, I was kind of in the mindset that I'm trying to catch up. Um, so that didn't have like much holding over me, but you know, certain things did in terms of, oh, I can't sleep with this person too fast because they'll think negatively of me. Um, still even, you know, even with like dressing provocatively, it was still like an issue like, oh, I can't. I can't wear a tank top without something covering my shoulders. Um, Not the shoulders. I know, (laughs) the shoulders. Um, So I was little by little just seeing what was still affecting me from my upbringing and then trying to challenge it and, and, and see if that's actually how I like my life to be or if I want to you know, go a different way or do something differently. Um, So I did like a lot of exposure therapy in terms of I would try things a couple of times to see if I liked it. And if I did, then great. And if I did, then, well, you know, this isn't for me. So in a way, what you're saying is that you kind of learned where your limitations were. You had to learn what your boundaries were through trial and error. Yes, exactly. And um, it's awkward doing that in your 20s um because a lot of people you know kind of start in their adolescence but i i just didn't get that opportunity so you know i definitely felt um you know far way farther behind and like i said in life experiences than than uh i cared to feel Mm. Do you feel like there were any like pain points or struggles throughout your process of uh, figuring out what your limitations were, of course, outside of getting herpes, but like before that? Um, yeah. And that being, you know, I obviously did not come from the most stable household with stable people. Um, so my first relationship was an absolute dumpster fire. Um, you know, he was emotionally and verbally abusive. Um, and I stuck around for a couple of years because that was familiar. Um, 
And, you know, it took me a really long time to kind of realize that relationships are not supposed to be this combative, but I always had a combative relationship with my parents or with my brother or with, you know, other family members. Um, so I was just kind of used to it. So Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what did you have to compare that to? Um, nothing. Close, <laughs> yeah. yeah, close to nothing. I didn't have <laughs> many friends growing up. And like I said, you know, my family obviously had some work they needed to do. Um, so that gave lead me down a path of choosing the wrong people or at least at the very least letting the wrong people in my life and letting them stay um because i was you know just kind of used to always fighting or kind of used to always being called names or being blamed for things um so it was a lot of trial and error and mostly error in terms of my social interactions with other people and it was hard to pinpoint you know, red flags or things that were unacceptable because I had absolutely nothing to compare it to. Um, I got thrown in high, in homeschool, seventh grade through graduation, so I didn't even have like a, a high school experience to, to experience various personalities and navigate social situations. So your education came from, I assume, just your mom. school called ECOT, Electronic Classroom of Tomorrow, um, and they were, um, they were a certified online public school where they would post semesters of your schoolwork, you had teachers that were assigned to you if you had questions, um, and you know, you just kind of did your work and touch bases with your teachers online. Um, I don't think that ECOT is around I don't either. <laughs> I think Zoom Zoom might have put him out of business now, at least. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's a thing anymore. But that's what I will. All right. Now you had that abusive relationship, and when you made it out of that, were you aware that that was something that you no longer wanted? So when you went into your second relationship, what was that like in comparison to the first? The second relationship I thought was really fun. Um, fine or fun? Fun. Okay. Um, for all of the three months that it lasted. <laughs> um, that relationship wasn't so much combative or abusive in any way, shape, or form. Well, okay. Um, but I did come to realize that I didn't so much like this person as much as I was always drunk around this person and this person was always drunk. So he was an alcoholic and anytime he was around, I was drinking because he was putting a drink in my hand and I just realized, um, you know, after everything had came to an end and it, like I said, it was only a couple of months, um, that it, it wasn't so much that I always have a great time around this person. We have great chemistry. It was literally every time I saw them, I was always drinking. And yes, he was like the party person. Um, so naturally, you kind of have a good time around those people. But I, I had to stop drinking around him and actually assess him with a sober mind and 
um, we just didn't gel well, uh, unless I was inebriated, so I didn't want that, so at least coming out of my second, or my first relationship, I was at least able to identify, uh, that negative behavior kind of early on, and, and put a stop to it. Yeah, so we haven't gotten to, um, your relationship after having herpes, and already you've pointed out a number of things that are quote red flags or baggage or um, reasons that someone may not want to date someone you don't want to date someone who has to be drunk all the time you don't want to date someone obviously who's uh, abusive or who is triggering you and even if you end up in that cycle of abuse and familiarity it's hard to get out but you were able to get out can I ask you what what got you out of that relationship before I get too far ahead uh, the second relationship? The first one, I'm sorry. Um, oh, the first one. Um, Uh-oh. So, we were a couple that made up and break up all the time. We were that annoying couple. They have makeup sex. That makeup sex, <laughs> <laughs> make up sex <laughs> Yeah, it would just be like, oh my God, you know, Ebony's crying again because, you know, her and her boyfriend broke up for the 50th time. Um, this month um, and then it got so bad that we would fight and we would break up and then I was just talking to my friend like yeah so me and me have gotten to another fight but he'll probably just call me back in like three or four days so I'm just waiting for that um, yeah <laughs> it got that bad so but I it's like you said though it was it was familiar like you knew what the cycle was. If y'all got into a fight three, four days, you expect a phone call and mm-hmm. you repeat the pattern again. Yeah, exactly. So it just became an expectation. Um, but actually, what, what really broke us up was um, I walked in. He lived in his mom. Um, I walked into his mom's house and he was on a computer and there was like a a page up and there was like a picture of a girl and it was kind of like a myspace page and i'm like what the fuck is this um and he like unplugged the computer because it had froze so i then um hack into his email and i found emails of him conversing with people off of Craigslist, mostly men uh, that he was having sex with, either behind my back or during our periods of breaking up. Um, So he would start arguing with me, break up, go have this rendezvous, come back a couple of days later. Damn! So, alright, that's kind of relatable because I've been in a relationship where We'd fight, break up. I'd go do whatever I wanted to do and then come back. So, like, I'm I'm wondering, like, what that is in terms of, like, I guess maybe we just aren't taught to communicate what it is that we really need. Because just out of curiosity, you can say whatever you want in response to this. But how would you have felt if he did say to you, hey, I like having sex with men. Are you okay with this? At that time in my life, I would have. Yeah. Well, you also were religious. So, like, mm-hmm. how do we, coming from backgrounds of, uh, was he black too? Yes. 
All right, so like coming from backgrounds, I'm gonna, I don't want to make assumptions, but if he was black, I'm gonna assume that because you were religious, perhaps y'all shared similar religious values to some extent. Or was he just like, um, no, I'm not religious at all, or a different yeah, religion? He was, he was more atheist than anything. He didn't really have any kind of religious background. Um, his mom, you know went to church maybe a couple of times a year but they okay. just were not like a really religious family at all okay um but i mean he was also a black guy in the early ish 2000s um and you know it just wasn't widely accepted yeah yet. i mean and, and um, honestly it's still not like especially to be black and uh, bisexual even you know or to be gay yeah. obviously but then to be bisexual and have to be closeted like when you compound all these different things on top of one another with shame and secrecy like it's really challenging for you to not only like accept yourself but to even get the acceptance needed from other people so like I'm curious to know like what you think like your purpose was that you served in his life was were you like his proof of being straight you think or was it something else I think it was the proof of being straight he was also um, you know he was a heavier set guy pretty low self esteem um, and you know all of his friends were either in solid relationships or they were kind of I don't want to say players but they were you know single and doing their thing and, and had a variety of female companions that, you know, didn't mind coming around and hanging out with them. Um, and he just wasn't that person. So he was, you know, shocked that someone like me would actually take take an interest in him and actually pursue him. Uh, we met because we worked together. Um, so I got to know him over a course of time. Now, if I didn't get that opportunity if I was just passing him on the street I probably wouldn't have you know given him a second look um but because I was able to get to know him over a course of time because we developed our own relationship um you know I end up you know wanting to be with him so it was probably he had not figured out his sexuality at that point um he wanted to have a girlfriend to show off and and say like hey you know look at me i have a girlfriend um and then you know just dealing with low self-esteem issues and and having someone to take that out on i guess yeah so and that was what you were you experienced the abuse in what ways we were shopping at mall 
and you know he was particularly broken for whatever reason I had and you know a little extra income and I was you know took him shopping I just wanted to like go have fun in the mall so I was like buying myself stuff and I kept saying like do you want something and he was looking at the, a hoodie I remember and I was like okay well do you want this hoodie and he never said yes he never said no but he never said yes and so I was eventually like okay well I mean if you change your mind we'll just come back you know we were probably in that store him and Ahana over a hoodie for like a half an hour um and then we get back to my place and he just starts like obviously he's upset so I'm like what's wrong he's like I don't want to talk about it I'm like what's wrong and he's like you know you're just really a selfish bitch sometimes and then he just starts going off on me because I didn't buy him this hoodie that he never told me that he wanted. <laughs> so it would be stuff like that. Or um, I remember going to my first concert because obviously I was never allowed to do something like that while living at home. Um, and I guess he just didn't want to go. So he started arguing with me to get out of that. Um so it would just be stuff like that. Like he'll just randomly, out of the blue, freak out. I would be every name in the book. I would be selfish. I would be a bitch. I would be a whore. I would be absolutely anything. Um, you know, because I didn't buy a hoodie or he didn't feel like going to a concert or whatever the case may be. Okay. Well, um, that's fortunate that you were able to get out of that relationship. Um, when you found out about his questioning his sexuality, his um, secret affairs behind your back and everything, how did you approach him? So I found out at work is when I hacked into his emails. And I ended up sending all the emails to myself and then like deleting Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. He was doing this on his work email? No, no. He was oh. doing his personal email. I just did this on my work computer. Um, so I had asked him to meet me at my place. He had a key to my place. He got off of work earlier than I did. So he was already there when I got there. And I kind of just walk in and I'm just like pretending everything's normal. Um, and then eventually I pull up my laptop and I pull up the emails and I just turn it to him and I was like, can you explain me, explain to me what this is? Um, and then he goes, well, how do you see that? And I was like, it doesn't matter. What is this? And we get into an argument from there. He picks up what little things that he has that were at my place that he ends up leaving. He ends up giving my key couple of days later I get a call from a detective um because he tried to press charges on me um so that's how that went did he did he end up pressing charges or what like how did that go um it was like the nighttime detective so every time I got a call it was like at 3 a.m um and eventually the, the detective was like listen if you do not come in and talk to me I will put a warrant out for your arrest and I was and so I go talk to him, and he's like, he has me write out, you know, what's going on. He asked me what's going on, and I was like, well, um, my boyfriend's mad that I found out he sleeps with other men. Um, and he's like, well, he's accusing you of breaking into his laptop or breaking into his emails. 
And I was like, no, 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 no. I suspected that he was on a dating site, and I forced him to give me his sign-in information, and he neglected to delete um, his sent box. Um, so he gave me that information. It's basically what I told them. And the guy just he didn't care. He just kind of closed the case out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you learned some stuff from that relationship. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Now, going into the relationship with the guy, you said um, you were sure that passed you herpes. Um, this relationship was more casual? Yeah, it was more casual. We actually went to school together. And I honestly forget how we got in contact as adults. I think I just ran into him somewhere. And, you know, we did that whole, hey, how are things going? How you been? What happened to you? And whatever. Um, and so we ended up exchanging numbers. You know, he was doing the, the you know, the whole, I want to come over, I want to see you, I miss you, blah, blah, blah. And I, I knew what he wanted. And at this point in my life, I was like, well, You've had two really shitty relationships. Let's just try a one night stand. You've never done that before. Let's try it with this guy. So, you know, we both have New Year's Day off. It's the holiday. He comes over, we hang out, we do the thing, he leaves. Um, about four or five days later, I come down with symptoms. <laughs> so, um, after about two weeks, I asked to see him again, and I didn't tell him anything at this point because I wanted to tell him face-to-face. And he comes out of his apartment building, and I'm standing outside of my car, like, in tears. And he's like, what is wrong? And I tell him. Um, I expected him to cuss me out, call me a liar, to you know just be what I was used to he was actually pretty apologetic said that he had no idea um and I'm like have you ever experienced anything I mean he's like no he's like I actually regularly get tested um and you know I'm calling him a liar because I didn't know that doctors didn't test for this without you specifically asking um and so after a little bit of, you know, kind of back and forth, he was around for a couple of days. And I think that, you know, maybe he went into his own depression and his own journey of figuring things out. And he kind of disappeared for a while, maybe about a month to anywhere from a month to three months later, he, you know, sends me a text. And he did that probably twice before I told him to just leave me alone. Um, he'll talk to me for a little while and see how I'm doing and then he'll just disappear and then he'll come back and eventually I was just like, what are you doing? And it was just so triggering for me because I was so devastated by the situation that I just told him to never contact me again. And he did. Um, and it's probably been maybe the past year or two I've been thinking about, you know, if I can find him, um, to just contact him and tell him I'm sorry how I dealt with that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not worth visiting, but who knows? Yeah. 
Well, <clears throat> you're at a much better place now, obviously, than you were at that point in time. Like, you found community, you found yourself, you began to uh, find and establish boundaries for yourself from the relationships that you've had and been in. So you're at a place where you're probably just willing to be like, hey, I didn't handle that very well. So here's like retribution or something. I don't even know if that's the word. I don't even like, know if that's a word I'm looking for. Just in case you cared, I don't actually hate you. Yes. Um, <laughs> You'd be surprised. But, you know, You'd be surprised what that does for stuff. people. Like just hearing yeah. that someone doesn't hate you that you thought hated your guts. And I mean, I would wonder like what his intention was with the text messages, because to me that does sound like some guilt, you know, like I, my, my, my radar isn't going off for, oh man, he knew, he knew, he knew and just didn't tell you, but that could still be the case. Um, but we'll never know. I mean, maybe if you do find him in one of the groups and y'all run into each other, <laughs> how funny would that be? Um, and then maybe, you know, you can get that, you can close that book for him because maybe, you know, it's still open for him and he has some regret there. Uh, you may have some regret for how you responded. So um, after, you know, that relationship, I guess, how are your relationships now as we come to a close of this podcast episode? Um, relationships are good. I'm, I'm definitely able to identify red flags and to set very clear boundaries. It has made me a very uh, good communicator. Um, I ended up finding a a person who is a very dear friend to me still on the first website. Um, They used to have a chat room, so we started talking and chatting back then. Um, And, you know, the first time we met was probably like two months after starting chatting online. And he's like, hey, you know, there's a cheap plane ticket to your city. If I come, you know, can I stay at your place? And that was another pushing myself out of my, you know, out of my comfort zone. And, you know, normally my mindset would have been like, no, he's a serial killer. I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at that point I was like, eh, you know, what, what do I have to lose? Um, so I ended up, you know, meeting him. And we're, we're still very good friends today. He actually... Um, went out of limb for me, and um, I ended up coming past a very affordable house in my area that I wanted, but at the time, I was like 25, I didn't have enough money for the down payment, and he actually ended up giving it to me, and it was like, hey, if you can pay me back, great, but I'm not expecting you to. Um, so he gave me the entire down payment for my house. So I actually would not be living in the home that I'm living in if I did not get this. Damn, that's awesome. I see why you're so grateful for herpes. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's amazing. But that's the kind of quality friendships and connections that we're able to make once we get to a place where we've accepted ourselves, we've accepted the diagnosis, and we're able to, again, put ourselves out there to connect with people. Like, more than anything, this has become a vehicle for connection because we can connect with people through this diagnosis, through the shared experiences that we have as a result of this diagnosis. And I think that it sort of humbles us a little bit when we come into communities and spaces where not only other people have herpes, but people have gone through a thing or they've been through something that also has humbled them 
because now we've all got humbling and vulnerable experiences that we can share and begin to really connect with one another uh, on. And um, yeah, build friendships that get us down payments to houses. Damn, that's a come up. <laughs> Someone on Instagram Live said, thank you for doing this. So, thank you. Aww. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before I let you go? Um, no. Uh, well, yeah, actually. So, I think a lot of people try to plan their lives out, you know, a year, five years in advance. And, um, and even I used to do that. And, of course, that never worked out. Anytime I ever tried to plan, like, a five-year plan, so many things got thrown in it, and I just winded up on a completely different path. Um, and so one thing I can say that I t- can take away from this entire experience that completely reshaped my entire life is that the only thing that I really need to have is my next step and once I get to that position I'll figure the rest out and you know letting go of needing to have control over everything that's happening in my life has improved it so much um over time so I am pretty grateful for being able to be in a position to learn that lesson thank you Ebony All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That's iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podbay, wherever you download your podcast episodes. You can also donate to Something Positive for Positive People. I actually just today uh, paid the $200 fee for filing my 990N so that we can continue to have 501c3 nonprofit status. Um, And we actually raised that money over the weekend through our yoga fundraiser, the virtual fundraiser that we put together. So thank you all for donating, supporting, showing up. And just all your general continued support. Thank you for the DMs. I try to message everyone back. I don't think I miss anyone, but if you haven't seen a response from me, then please don't hesitate to reach back out. All right. Uh, Continue to support our efforts in connecting people who are struggling with the stigma of their herpes diagnosis to mental health resources and connecting people uh, to the support groups and continuing to build community. That's what something positive for positive people is really focusing on uh, this year in 2021, just growing the podcast, getting community going, and then connecting to mental health organizations that provide uh, mental health services so that we can just continue to remove the barriers to people getting the support they need to uh, go through their healing process. Until next time, stay sex positive.